In the name of one God, living and true. Amen. Please be seated. I want to begin this morning by telling you a story. The story comes from Norman Wurzba, who is a professor of theology at Duke. But he's also the son of a farming family, grew up on a farm himself, and food and farming are important topics to him in his theological work. I got to hear him speak a couple years ago, and he told this story about being at a conference in Canada when a couple named Don and Marie came up to him. They asked if they could have some of his time and tell, them, tell him their story. He was intrigued, so he said yes. And here's my retelling of that story. Don and Marie Ruzica are from the Alberta province of Canada. They inherited a family farm on Don's families, uh, on land that Don's family had farmed since the early 20th century. Sunrise Farm is on the prairies of Western Canada, and it had been through what so many farms in the US and Canada have been through in the last century. Once farming the old fashioned way with pastured animals and a diversity of crops, over time, Don's family had to adjust to, as old practices of farming were eclipsed by industrial methods. The productive land was all dedicated to one thing, growing grain, and cattle was moved to feedlots instead of pasture. In his talk, Professor Wurzba reminded us that if you don't know much about, farm, about the farming industry, it's important to know that over the last century, a huge change has occurred. People want to spend less of their income than they ever have, a smaller proportion of their income than they ever have on food. We expect food to be cheap, but it isn't cheap to produce food. If you've ever tried to grow a tomato, you know that. It takes time and care and inputs and labor. Farmers have had to increase the productivity of their land as much as possible because the margins between what they spend and what they make are so small. Many farmers don't make any money at all and have to have off-farm jobs in order to pay their bills. So Don's family understandably put as much of their land as possible into grain production. They drained marshlands and cleared land and converted pasture in order to grow more and more grain. This, of course, as you might expect, destroyed the habitat of animals that lived on that land, birds, deer, moose, and more. And it affected more than those animals. Over time, the water on their land and the soil itself was degraded by this type of farming. When all the land is dedicated to growing one thing, to grain, it requires the use of herbicides and fertilizers and heavy machinery to keep getting a yield every year, year after year. Don and Marie did this for years, and their debt load was only increasing. The financial stress and the stress on their land became such that they reached a point where they just couldn't continue. Don's own physical health had begun to suffer. Something had to change. They either had to quit and leave the land that had been in their family for generations, or find a different way to farm. 
They were in the midst of this dilemma. When Don went to town one day to pick up the mail, he'd received a flyer about a workshop on regenerative agriculture. He discussed it with Marie when he got home, and they decided that they had nothing to lose. So he went to the workshop to check it out. And thus began a path of transformation for them and for their land. Don and Marie came to think of themselves and their land and its creatures in an entirely new way. They stopped seeing the land as a unit of production, something to squeeze as much out of as possible, and more as a whole ecosystem of which they were but one part. Regenerative agriculture, if you're not familiar with it, teaches uh, to restore native habitats that naturally help promote the health of the land, animals, and people through cycles. It taught them to nurture the land, which would in turn nurture them. So they stopped using pesticides. They no longer put all of the land into grain cultivation. They restored the marshland. They reintroduced forests by bringing back native species. Specialists helped them determine exactly what to plant, and they planted tens of thousands of trees over the years of this transformation. Part of this model is also to reintroduce native species into the environment. And while they couldn't reintroduce moose back onto their land, they did free the cattle from the feedlot back onto pasture to mimic the grazing that moose do. The same with the pigs and the chickens. They were taken out of confinement and allowed to go out on pasture and rotated through different plots of land, eating the bugs, the grass, doing their thing, happily living on the land. Don and Marie sold equipment they no longer needed, and they sold some of their land in order to get out of debt. It was a long and slow and at times very painful process. It took courage to start farming differently than their family and their neighbors. They received pushback and anger. The financial powers that be for farming were not working with them on this. But the more they participated in it, the more they did it, they told Professor Wurzba, the more they knew the rightness of it. Their land was becoming resilient, productive, and diverse. Birds, insects, and animals who hadn't been seen on the land in years returned. Don's own health improved. One particular morning, Don was out at 6 a.m. moving the chicken pens in the pasture so they could be on a new section of the land. While he was moving the pen, he heard a meadowlark. The meadowlark's song was the most beautiful bird song he remembered from being young on that land, but he hadn't heard it in over 20 years. The bird had disappeared, and he didn't ever expect to hear it again. When he heard the meadowlark sing that morning, he thought he must be mistaken. Could it possibly be back after all this time? And then he heard it sing again. The experience was so overwhelming that he broke down and fell to the ground and wept. He told Professor Wurzba that in hearing the meadow lark sing, he heard the land forgive him. Now this is Don. I've never met him, but I can guarantee he's not the sentimental, sappy type. 
He's a seasoned old farmer. But he was so moved, he saw that the meadowlark was able to come back, to make a home on the land that had previously been so inhospitable to it. With Don and Marie's efforts to bring the land back to health, with all their sacrifice and patience and courage, it was working. It was becoming land where creatures could not only survive but flourish. The land had become hospitable again. It could be a home again. Birds, insects, and animals have now come back to their land in the dozens. Prairie ecologists and other scientists regularly visit because animals and birds that haven't been seen in decades have have come back to this land. Other species haven't yet returned, but Don and Marie hope that they will. Don said that even as difficult as it's been, it's been so life-giving, hope-inspiring. He sees each year how the land is becoming more fertile and more of a home for a diversity of species. And it's a beautiful thing, this restored relationship between the people on the land, the animals, and the soil itself. With their efforts, it has become a place of abundance and life. The story stayed with me long after I heard it. And when I read this week's gospel, I knew I had to go back and watch Professor Wurzba's talk and hear the story again. You can email me if you want the link to watch it yourself because he tells it way better than I did. But there's something in this story that is like the tiny mustard seed growing into something large enough for birds to make a home in it, to shelter them, to build their nests in it. There's something in this story like the yeast that the woman worked through the flour which becomes dough that feeds many more people than it would have before. There's something in this story like treasure in a field or a pearl of irreplaceable value. There's something in this story like the net teeming with a diversity of fish. I wanted to tell you this story because it makes real to us something true about the kingdom of God. The closest I can get is to say that there's a kind of hospitable abundance in God's kingdom. Not abundance like Scrooge, or Scrooge McDuck is what I think of with his pile of gold coins where he rests on it. Not abundance like that, but a place where everyone has enough. Where everyone has enough to thrive. Not where one group has to suffer so that another group can live it up but an understanding that there's enough for everyone to flourish. Where we may need to give up some things, but in the long run, it will feel like abundance. Like Don Brzezika in that field overcome with the return of that long lost bird, transformed by forgiveness and hope and new life. This is the third week in a row that our gospel reading includes a parable about seeds. Jesus was teaching using familiar things to those around him, seeds and bread and birds and fish, because the kingdom of heaven isn't some far-off place that is completely alien to us. It is something we recognize when we experience it, when we glimpse it, if we're open to it, if we trust it, if we live into it, we'll know it. 
The kingdom of heaven isn't some remote future event. It is something Jesus spoke about as very present and very near us. Something we'll recognize if we have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. And Jesus uses these very ordinary examples to instruct us about it. These very small, ordinary things are transformative. The mustard seed into a habitat for birds. The yeast expanding into dough to feed a hundred people. As the church, we are called to live into this kind of transformation. To trust it. To trust that it is possible. To have hope in the incredible abundance God can provide from the tiniest offering. There are plenty of voices to tell you that it is hopeless. Nothing will change. Everything's ruined. But that's not what these glimpses of the kingdom of heaven tell us. That's not the vision Jesus is offering. There is transformation. There is hope. There is abundant life. And it begins in the smallest of ways. It begins with trust that when things just aren't working, there's another way. It begins with barely discernible change. But over time, God is doing something miraculous, something wildly hospitable. And I would like to be a part of that. We are invited to be a part of that, to live into some small incremental change, some step towards hope or new life, some act of trust that there is enough to go around, that we can afford to care for one another, for the land beneath our feet, and for the creatures that share the earth with us. May we have eyes to see where we can start. And may we have ears to hear the encouragement to keep going. Amen.